We're looking at um, Jesus' parables. A parable is a story with a twist. It's The twist surfaces something about God. We're going to begin with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And these two individuals couldn't have been more different. Pharisees were beyond reproach from a spiritual perspective. And if Pharisees were beyond reproach, tax collectors were the very opposite. They were beyond salvage. Um, we find, says Luke 18, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. The parable is directed toward the self-righteous, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, the irreligious were making their way toward Jesus, and they really did flock around him. The irreligious, those who didn't feel like they had any ability to be able to be accepted by God, those are the ones that massed around Jesus, and they were making their way towards him. Because they took their faith seriously, the religious believed that God really had no room for those who were irreligious. Um, it says they looked down on everybody else. They were persuaded that they were righteous because they looked at all the things that they did, and they looked down on everyone else. To look down means to treat with contempt or despise. And so what it's saying then is Jesus was aware, as he was traveling around from village to village, that there were many who really didn't have much to commend themselves spiritually, and lots of individuals like that. But there were some in the crowds who believed they looked around at those who were masking around Jesus, and they, they looked at them with contempt because they were not doing the things that they believed one needed to do in order to be accepted by God. Um, they, were, they were devout, and that's the upside. The downside of their devotion is that they treated others with contempt. And rather than call out the irreligious, Jesus tells a story that focuses on and calls out the religious. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pharisees were respected by the people for their devotion to religious law, and they had reason to, to be respected because they tried really hard. The law dictated that you needed to fast one day a year. They fasted twice a week, so they fasted a hundred times more than sacred law said that you needed to fast. They memorized the Bible and volumes of commentary written by it. Their minds were, they just had tremendous ability to memorize huge volumes of material. They memorized not only the Bible, but what individuals wrote about the Bible. They were like walking biblical encyclopedias. They set apart a tenth of everything that they got both money and, in fact, it was said that the Pharisee wouldn't go and eat with people because 
they needed to be sure that people tithed on what they served. So if you were serving up some type of garnish or something like that that had mustard seeds in it, the Pharisees, they needed to believe that the person that made the mustard stuff took one out of every 10 mustard seeds so to tie them to God. And so they really weren't very comfortable at eating at other people's houses because they didn't believe that they would be as careful as they needed to be to make sure that they tithe everything, money, what they ate, etc., etc., etc. The Pharisee prays about himself, and the tax collector is in a very different space. They are not respected. Tax collectors at the time, Israel was under the dominion of Rome, and so Rome then taxed those who were its subjects. You know how 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 much we enjoy tax people. Well, you know, anyways, uh, but they were taxed by Rome. And so what ended up happening, some of Jewish individuals, they collected taxes on behalf of Rome. And what they did as well, they added a surtax. So they not only collected the taxes that they needed to collect, that they were obligated to collect, but they were allowed to to put a surtax on it as well that they themselves benefited from. They were hated and Tax collectors, more than anyone else in Jewish culture, had no chance, as far as what religious leaders said, of being accepted by God. And the Pharisees were on the other side. Again, Pharisees were beyond reproach, and tax collectors were beyond salvage. Um, The Pharisee prayed about himself and looked up. The tax collector really couldn't look up at all. He stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up to God. And what Jesus says is, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The point of this parable, and again, when you think of it, it's really when he told this story and did this twist, the people were shocked. Pharisees were very, very well respected. And tax collectors were reviled and vilified. The fact that in this story, God would accept someone like this was unthinkable and was almost unimaginable. Um, The Pharisee is rejected, however, because of his attitude toward the tax collector. He was persuaded that he was righteous. And the problem was, his attitude toward the tax collector said something about his faith. The self-righteous base their spiritual status on comparing favorably with others. And again, this is something that it's easy to do. If you work really hard, in fact, I remember when I was growing up, I went to church as a Catholic, and I went more than anyone else did that I knew of in my that in my age. I remember I went to church the 40 days during Lent. And there was no one else close to my age there during those 40 days. I hopped on my bike and rode my bike to church before school. And and there was me, and then there was Mrs. Boy, and she was in her 80s, I think. And then there was Mr. Conklin, and he was in his 60s or 70s. And there was like five or six of us, and I was one of them. And the next one up was as old as I am now, which then... Which is not very old. It seemed really old at the time, but it's not that old, no. 
Um, the um, the self-righteous base their spiritual status on comparing favorably with others, and the humble do not. Again, before we wipe a tear away at this rags-to-riches story about somebody who doesn't deserve to be accepted is accepted, and um, the tax collector, it's important to understand, is not trying at all to be religious. He's not obeying the commandments. He's not going to church. He is not praying or giving or studying. We come away from this parable with a couple of observations. God rejects the self-righteous, and more surprisingly, God accepts the unrighteous. Um, God rejects the self-righteous. The Pharisee in the parable went away without being accepted by God, and the reason why is something that we zero in on, self-righteousness. When you think of it, who did Jesus have trouble with? From a spiritual perspective, demoniacs, adulterers, sinners. He really had no problem reaching them. Do you know who he couldn't reach? Pharisees. He couldn't crack a Pharisee. Somebody who believed they were righteous because of what they did, Jesus couldn't appeal to them. He had no ability to convert them. That's what we see. Pharisees, they were beyond salvage spiritually. In Jesus' perspective, in the people's perspective, they were beyond reproach. And as far as Jesus, they were beyond salvage. What is self-righteousness about? And self-righteousness is not something that they deal with. I remember I was, I was in China. I spent a couple of years in China about a couple of decades ago and was addressing a lot of missionaries and, and stuff. And so we were talking about self-righteousness. And I had one guy come up afterwards and said, you know what? I think I deal with that. And I said, let me tell you a secret. Everybody deals with it, but only those who understand they deal with it, they're in a good spot. The fact is we all deal with self-righteousness. We're all tempted to, when we look at ourselves, we don't see the things in ourselves that we think need to be there in order to be accepted by God. Our attitudes are not what we think they should be. Our thoughts aren't what we think they should be. Our feelings aren't what they think we should be. And it's very difficult for us to deal with this because we believe that God looks at those thoughts and looks at those feelings and you goes, expect better of you. And it's very natural for us then when we look at ourselves and we feel bad about ourselves to look at others and you say, well, I might not be the bee's knees, but at least I'm not him, and at least I'm not her. And we kind of then make ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves with others. Now, again, I'm talking about bad people. Now, none of us would ever do anything like that. You know, that's what they do. They do things like that, and we do things like that. It's very natural. If you don't see self-righteousness in yourself, you're not looking. All of us deal with it. How do we deal with something like that? Where does it come from? What is self-righteousness about? Why is it that we, well, David had an aha experience. Um, it says, an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. This is King David. An oracle is an aha moment. David looked around at individuals who they favorably compared themselves with us, and he couldn't understand it, how that could work. Anyways, he goes on to say, um, there was no fear of God before his eyes, or in his own eyes, 
he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. He looked around at people who seemed to be kind of, it, it didn't bother them that they did things. They always made themselves look better than everyone else, and David couldn't understand why they did that. They were kind of narcissistic spiritually. They always put themselves out and put themselves at the top. And David had an aha moment because he couldn't understand it. From his perspective, he was pretty honest about himself. And when he did something wrong and somebody called him on it, he, he fessed up. And he couldn't understand why others couldn't. And then he has an aha moment. Um, what he sees is that in the person's mind, in their own eyes, they flattered themselves to punch. Let me tell you what flattery is. It's like when you have something that's imperfect and you smooth the exterior of it. You know, like when you use cosmetic things to make it look better than it is. That's that. Well, <laughs> what do you think? I'm saying if if the barn needs painting. I mean, <laughs> 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 so when he that's that's what self righteousness is about. It, and as David looks at it, so busy smoothing the exterior, the appearance. And I guess here's the deal. When we, to the degree that we are very careful to smooth the appearance, that's going to take up a lot of energy, and it's not going to allow us to direct our attention at what's inside. When how things look is all that matters, when how things look is all that matters. How things really are will never get dealt with. When how things look is all that matters, how things really are will never get dealt with. If we are focused on appearing to be more righteous than we are, that effort doesn't allow us to really roll up our sleeves and look honestly at what was in ourselves. Here's what Jesus did. If you were an honest person, and admitting and understanding your fault, Jesus had no issues with you. Even if you dealt with things, even if you were at the lowest end of the low spiritually, if you were able to see that and be honest with him about that, you and Jesus had no issues. It was those who smoothed the exterior, made themselves look better than they were. Those are the ones that Jesus had a lot of trouble with, and that's what that we find in this parable. Um, God opposes the self-righteous. If you're dutifully giving, keeping a sin list, we tend to do that, keeping a sin list of the things that we need to watch out for. Maybe it was even a New Year's resolution. He says, well, I'm going to stop doing... And maybe you made a list like that. I'm going to stop doing this kind of thing, doing that kind of thing. If you're going to throw something on a sin list, I tell you what, what maybe should be up toward the top? Self-righteousness. The need to appear better than you are in order to somehow become acceptable to God. That doesn't merit, that doesn't find God's acceptance. You know what God likes? Because he already sees it. He likes honesty. He likes it when we're aware of the things we think and feel that are objectionable, and we say, you know what, God, here's the deal. 
I deal with this, I deal with that, I wish I didn't, but I do. God looks at that kind of honesty and says, good for you. Because the other side of that, pretending you're better than you are, that doesn't work. That doesn't work very well. Um, Self-righteousness is a virulent spiritual infection. God rejects the self-righteous. This is a little bit difficult to believe. God accepts the unrighteous. Look what it says. Um, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. It says, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Um, you got gifts for Christmas. Um, how many of guess it's a good idea to give thank you, thank you cards for Christmas gifts? And of course, as well, you're going to, when you get your paycheck, of course, you're going to send a thank you card for that too. Thank you so much. How many? Yeah, you get, you send thank you cards for, for wages, right? No, it's, it's obligated. You know, so I work for it. So you don't give thank you notes for paychecks. And that's when it says here, to the, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation to the man who does not work, but trust God who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. God's acceptance is always a gift, never a paycheck. It's always a gift and never a paycheck. This is not disturbing. That's kind of good news, isn't it? What about this? God justifies the wicked. That's a little disturbing, isn't it? But it says, however, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteous. Now, what it's saying, a person who struggles but who believes and who has faith that God accepts people who struggle. That is saving faith. I want you to listen to me. The faith that commends itself to God is faith that God looks at someone who believes and trusts him to accept them even though they struggle. That type of faith is the kind of faith that is true faith. Faith that says, I'm better than you, and I do more things, and I read more, and I give more, and I do this more. That's not the kind of faith that is described here as saving faith. Um, We're saved by faith, not that God rewards devotion, but that God accepts the wicked person who trusts him to accept wicked people. Saving faith is faith that trusts God to justify the wicked. There was a lot of, when Jesus was around, again, tax collectors were at the, were at the low end of the totem pole spiritually. We, there's a story. Well, let me tell it to you. There is a um, story about uh, a tax collector named Levi that says that Jesus, we know him as Matthew, and he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He was a tax collector. Here's what happened. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew 
sitting at his tax collector's booth. He was a tax collector. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, he would have understood that Jesus was a rabbi. And when Jesus said, follow me, he was choosing Matthew to be a disciple, which was must have horrified because you would never, if you were a self-respecting rabbi, choose a Pharisee to be a disciple. Anyways, Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Sinners is the word that Pharisees used for those who were less righteous than they. Jesus never used that word. He called people lost, lost people. He never called somebody a sinner. You know, it's an interesting word, isn't it? Sinner. You know, you have to sneer when you say it, don't you? Sinner. And Jesus never called people sinners. He called people lost. Um, the fact is that many tax collectors and sinners followed him. The irreligious were drawn to Jesus. And this created problems with the Pharisees. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy means kindness, goodness, not sacrifice. God doesn't recognize those who carry the biggest spiritual load, do the most thing, devote themselves. That's not what he notices. What he notices is somebody who sees someone in need and acts kindly, mercifully toward them. Um, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is what the Pharisees objected to. Why are you spending time with them? Eating was a show of acceptance. When you ate at somebody's house in that culture, you were saying something to the neighbors. And when Jesus was eating at the tax collector's house, and there's all these sinful people going in, he's saying something to people around that he accepts these people. He'll sit down and eat with them. They are people that he would, he's okay with. People know that he eats and sits down and, and spends time with them. Um, it was a show of acceptance. There's a passage in the Bible where it says, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come eat and I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's a nice image. You ever see that picture? Jesus said, knocking at the door. And there's, and there's a doorknob, but there's no doorknob on the outside, if you notice the picture. It's like Jesus, and he looked like Jesus with the donut on his head. And then, and then there's, and there's a doorway, and there's no doorknob on the outside. Because when Jesus knocks on the door, you have to open it from the inside. That's a, that's a, a nice image. Um, it's a different picture. And it gives us the image here that Jesus is knocking at the door and he's not alone. He has people with him. The kind of people that you might not want in your house. If you're a Pharisee, sinful people. The kind of people you wouldn't want your neighbors to see entering into your house. The image is Jesus knocks. And he has individuals with him that, that matter to him. 
And to say, well, Jesus, you can come in, but those other people can't. Jesus looks at that and says, we've got a problem. I come in with them or I don't come in at all. Um, Self-righteousness evidences it by our exclusion of others. You know what the deal with us is? We are fine with us being connected to God. Do you know who we don't like being connected to God? Them. Them. Pharisees, them as a tax collector. We all have thems, don't we? Peoples we think that are beyond salvage. And Jesus comes and calls them to himself. Our opposition to them keeps us out. This is a very challenging thing. Again, it's really not simple. really is not simple. I guess what I'm saying, for some of us, thems are Republicans? Or thems are Democrats? Thems are vaxxers or thems are anti-vaxxers? Thems are people that have no business being accepted by God. And our self-righteousness, what we tend to do is we tend to kind of section off individuals we don't think should. And again, we do this. We do this. Uh, and this is what Jesus is getting at here. If you aren't feeling a stab of recognition, you're not looking. This is something, again, I'm not pointing a finger at them out there. This is something we struggle with. You know what the deal is? To say, I don't struggle with that, that's a problem. That's a problem. If you're saying, I struggle with that, good for you. So do I. We all do. And you know what God says to people who admit their struggles? Good. Because to the degree we can be honest about our struggles, we don't need to distance ourselves from others in order to make ourselves feel more spiritual than we really are. You know what God wants out of us? Honesty. Honesty. Don't try to be make yourself better than you are spiritually. Be honest with him. God, you know what? I'm not who I want to be spiritually. God looks at that and says, good for you. I like that kind of attitude. Because what it leads to is not only you learn to depend on mercy for yourself, but as you do that, you know what you're going to find? Little by little, the more honest you are with God about yourself, I want you to listen to me. The more honest you are with God about yourself, understanding that he really does want your honesty, you know what's going to happen? Little by little, you will become less self-righteous and less judgmental of others. If you can accept your own stuff, what's going to happen? You will gradually be more open to not distance yourself from them. Um, if you take out, there's a article I wrote. I'm gonna, we're going to close with it. If you want to read along, it's in your thought God chooses you. I just read it through as we close. Tax collectors, sinners. No self-respecting religious leader would even give them the time of day until Jesus came. He opened his heart to them, and they opened their homes to him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. They had not darkened the door of a religious meeting for a long time. They were not invited. They stopped caring about God. They pursued wealth. They collected taxes from their fellow Jews on behalf of Rome. They pursued sin. They abandoned themselves to the lusts of the flesh. And now they were having dinner with him, with Jesus Christ. Warmth, invitation, inclusion, regard. No cold indifference in his manner. No hot contempt in his gaze. And a flame flickered to life within them. A flame that had all but gone out. Hope began to burn within them, spiritual hope. Hope that they could experience meaningful contact with God. Hope that they could matter to God. Voices from the past approached, critical tones, harsh statements, disgusted expressions. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The question was loud enough to be heard by all. It was intended to be heard. Instinctively, they, re they retreated to the designated place for sinners outside of God's care. The flame ebbed. What Jesus did next cemented their place in his care and his place in their hearts. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I choose these sinners to be my guests because God chooses them to be his children. Jesus fought for them. He fought against those who would attempt to drive them out of God's care. He would have none of it. He would not allow the religious authorities to move them out of his circle of concern. He made sure there was a place for them. With this same righteous anger, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And when the dust cleared, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. He made sure there was a place for them. Don't forget what Jesus said. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus makes a place for people who are spiritually ill and need a great physician. He makes a place for people who struggle with sin and need a savior. If this is you, Jesus makes a place for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. A place for you. God chooses you. Let's stand for closing prayer. Thanks for these stories and 
we hear them and they're hard to wrap our arms around, and but we see the point. Um, I understand that you want us to come to you understanding that you make a place for people who are imperfect, who are sinners, who struggle. That's what you do, and to be able to learn to be honest about those things is what a spiritual person does. We, If we can be honest about that, we don't have to compare ourselves as much. This is really hard to learn. Anyways, thank you for your grace. I pray that we would understand it more and more as we talk about it week by week by week by week by week by week by week. The more we root our faith in grace, the less judgmental of others we become, the more accepted by you we become because we rely not on our merit but on your mercy. And we can be honest about our struggles. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.